You guys can be seated. Sounded beautiful this morning. And we have a treat today. We have a special guest preaching. One of the benefits that we have at Redemption City is a close relationship with Redeemer Church. And Redeemer Church, most of us, a lot of us actually came from there. I don't know if it's most of us anymore, but a lot of us came from Redeemer in the processes of this church plant. And they've got a large number of great pastors who love God, who follow Jesus, who live in the Word. And so uh, today we get to hear from one of them. Garrett Wishel is going to bring us into the Word today. He has been married to his wife, Laura, for 20 years. They've got four kiddos, the eldest of which is Timothy, who's got the coolest name on the planet, if I'm honest. And uh, yeah, so thanks so much for being here, man. Yeah, well, it's good to be here. Guys, thank you. Oh man, look at this. This is fun. So we were in Denver 10 years before here and our sending church of the church plant that we were a part of. So we were a part of a plant like this one in Denver most of our time there. And the church that sent us, this was exactly how the sanctuary was. So I'm flashing back to Denver. Um, so this is great. And isn't this fun? Uh, this is great. So apparently it's been told to me that Matt occasionally wears plaid. And he turned 39 again on Friday, and so this is in honor of him. And so if you are new with us uh, at Redemption City, just know this is just a testimony, I think, to the kind of familial culture that you'll experience here. Uh, joy in Jesus, family together. And uh, I have a great deal of respect and love for Matt. He's a good friend. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. He loves Jesus. He loves the St. Louis Cardinals, which I do as well. Both of those things are great. One far more important than the other, clearly. But um, I know that Matt's devoted to preaching the God of this word that we're going to look at, um, Isaiah 55, if you want to turn there. Uh, and not only preaching the God of the Bible, but help, helping each of you, each of us, minister the word to one another. That each of us in Christ has the spirit in us. We're able to minister the word. And so my prayer would be that this ministry of the word aids your own ministry of the word. Um, and as you're going to Isaiah 55, why, why are we here? Well, I wanted to preach something near and dear to my heart, which is what you see up here. Uh, enough of this surviving business. How do we thrive? How do we thrive as God's people? Um, and to picture thriving biblically, think of a healthy fruit tree in an orchard. So thriving is not the absence of suffering, Thriving is to grow and develop well across the circumstances of your life. So if you think of a fruit tree in an orchard, one, it's surrounded by other trees. You don't grow alone. Uh, but trees weather storms. They lose branches. Uh, limbs come off. There's pruning. There's intentional trimming of trees so that they'd be the most fruitful possible. That's what thriving is. God's picture of thriving is a joyful, fruitful tree. And thriving is not the absence of suffering, but it's to go right through the suffering as Jesus did, honoring the Lord, serving the Lord. And we're headed to home, right? We're headed to a place of no more suffering, no more pain, no more death, hallelujah. Uh, and God wants us to thrive right now today. So that's what we're gonna look at in Isaiah 55. It's an incredible text. Uh, so follow along with me. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear 
that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord, church, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are, or for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, That was good. Let me do it again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Love it. Uh, God, we come to you. And uh, God, it is a joy to be here. The work, Jesus, that you have done is finished and ongoing. Uh, Everything is finished to enable us to draw near. And in an ongoing way, you represent us. Uh, You go with us and we carry your yoke, which is easy, and your burden, which is light, as we rely on you. So I pray that this sermon, Lord, would help us all to Uh, more closely depend on you and live as joyful, fruit-bearing people in you. And we pray in your name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, I'm the oldest of six kids and grew up in a Christian home, uh, Christian parents. And so we we had a blast together as a family. Christmas time was definitely the best time of year. Uh, We had all kinds of traditions, uh, all kinds of things that we would do. Christmas Eve, we would act out the Christmas story together and videotape it and then watch it together and then uh, get up on Christmas and exchange presents like many of you probably do. Uh, And it was so meaningful growing up that we still usually get together with my extended family. And so in 2022, we're around a breakfast table with about 10 to 12 grandkids, five siblings, parents, talking about gifts, exchanging and giving gifts, giving and receiving, and talking specifically, is it harder to give a gift or to receive a gift? So harder to give or receive. And we all kind of acknowledged someone's walking up to you giving a gift, you feel a little bit insecure, like, I hope this is not quite as good as the gift I have for them. I want it to be good, but I want mine to be a little bit better. You feel just complete shame if they're walking up to you and they're like, oh no, it's got to be for someone else. Say it's at church, they're walking up with a gift, you're like, I didn't buy them a gift. I wasn't going to buy them a gift. Now I either have to or I can feel guilty and just open theirs and pretend I enjoy it when really I'm just feeling guilty. You're making me go home guilty. And uh, some of us were able to receive gifts fine, but receiving service from others was really difficult. Like someone coming in and helping you clean your house is really hard for my sister. Um... And to a person, each of us, it was harder to receive than it was to give. Harder to receive than it was to give, which I find to be really interesting because uh, I think the main point of my sermon today is we're going to thrive as we receive from God and respond with worship. We are receivers from the Lord. He's the creator. We're created beings. You woke up this morning because the Lord woke you up. 
You're breathing, inhaling, exhaling without thinking about it because the Lord gave you that breath. And so as we would receive from the Lord and respond with worship, we're going to thrive. And we're going to see that today in our text through three moves, Uh, three moves through the text. But to set the table first real quickly where Isaiah 55 falls in this book, Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, so the time before Christ, and chapters 1 through 39 of this book have shown over and over the people of God, Israel's failure to keep God's commands, God's repeated patience with them. They kind of do okay for a while, but then they fail again, and then God is patient and calls them back, but they finally hit a point where they are in exile. So God has sent them out of the promised land. Israel has failed to keep um, the expectations of this covenant that God had made. And chapters 40 through 55, thankfully in Isaiah, give us hope. Sometimes these chapters are called the fifth gospel because there's so much hope contained in these verses through the servant of the Lord. And this servant is captured vividly in just different uh, pictures. Things look bleak because of the people's unfaithfulness, but hope is not lost because this servant is faithful. And Isaiah 54.10, right before our chapter today says, my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So these people in exile in bleak circumstances, God says, I'm going to have compassion on you. My steadfast love will be enough. And then we hit chapter 55. So how do we thrive? If we thrive when we receive from God and respond with worship, how do we? Well, first we feast. We feast, church. And we feast for free. It's incredible. So look at verse one. Come, the prophet says, everyone who thirsts, come to these waters, no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? So we can have abundant provision for free or working really hard for dust. I think I want the free stuff. All the kids in the room are like, get the free stuff. Come on. But the parents are like, hold on, there's a catch. There's always a catch. Okay, let's look again. He probably wants like years of indentured servitude and labor. Well, no, it just says, come buy and eat without price. Well, okay, maybe it is a time investment. He wants you to give a lot of time each day. No, it just says, come for free. In fact, the only thing that seems like is going on here is that whoever this is, is thirsty and needy. Thirsty and needy. Because both the people who eat for free and those who are laboring are seeking satisfaction. And the Lord would offer satisfaction, not just a physical satisfaction, but the Lord wants to satisfy us in the most meaningful and deep ways possible. There's two possible paths in life. One is to labor for nothing, labor and really can waste your life because of the direction of it, who it's for, what it's about, or receive and feast for free. Any child knows which to choose. Give me the free stuff, right? Give me the free stuff. The analogy is physical The application is spiritual. Jesus, if this is sounding familiar, in the Sermon on the Mount, said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know their need, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, like the people do that Isaiah is writing to, for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Mary in Luke 1 about Jesus says that God has filled the hungry with good things, while the rich he has sent away empty. 
Usually rich people feast, but in this case, it is the hungry who are feasting. Guys, that's how it is with us and the Lord. We thrive as we feast on God's provision. As you're here today, if you come in weary, maybe unusually weary, uh, tired, just exhausted, maybe externally you're all right, but inside you're like, I just made it in the door. This is way more survive than thrive. Could it be that you start the day dependent on the Lord, but as the day goes along, and as then the Tuesday goes along and the Wednesday, too often our daily sense of things are good is based on your effort, your work, and your output. And in that, you just get weary, right? Because we fail. All of us fail, okay? All of us, you pull back the curtain, and there's going to be failure. And there's weariness as the fruit of that self-reliant labor. When I was in college, I was a conscientious, studious person, and I occasionally became overwhelmed with what I needed to do. That was way back in college. It wasn't last week, I promise. Just kidding. But in college, I was this way. And uh, I had a good friend who was much more laid back than I was. And one Friday afternoon, I walked into that friend's uh, room and I was stressed out, guys. Just stressed out. Probably for like three papers and a test. Not for like something that was particularly stressful, but I was stressed. And he, and he looked at me and just kind of smiled and was like, sit down. And uh, it was a few minutes before he had to go to work. But he took 10 to 15 minutes while he ironed his shirt and got ready for work and then was late for work which I don't commend, but it really blessed me in this instance. Um, and I just talked about nothing. We talked about whatever, and uh, it settled me down, calmed me down, because I knew that for him it was coming from a place of God's in control, God is at work, and so we can rest, and we receive from him, and then we respond with worship. As God invites us to slow down, to sit down, and then to eat what is good, Let's look at how we receive this free stuff. Okay, the text is clear. Three, it repeats it in three ways. Middle of verse two, listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. So like turn on your ear. Come to me here that your soul may live. Listen, incline here. As we feast on God's word, we're able to worship him. In the 1930s and 1940s, uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the American people in some 30 speeches that we now know as the fireside chats. And this would have been the time when radio was the way that things were communicated. It was a huge form of communication. And these addresses came in the midst of World War II, marching toward World War II, in the midst of World War II, and I have no doubt that these talks likely sustained the American people through times of uncertainty and difficulty. People were hanging on his every word. You can just imagine tuning in the radio, listening, hearing. That is what God is calling us into in this text as we would approach his word, is to receive it in that kind of way. To drink from it, to feed on it, to receive life from his word. Jared Wilson, a pastor and author, says this about the expectancy that we should come to the word with. He says, we can come to the Bible for more knowledge, and that's fine. Its facts are impeccable. We can come to the Bible for artistry. That's fine. Its words are beautiful. We can come to the Bible for instructions on the religious life, and that too is fine. The law of God is holy and glorious. But if we don't come to the word of God for life, 
we run the risk of dying smart, entertained, and religious. There's a marked difference between seeing the Bible as a resource and seeing the Bible as sustenance. Friends, day in and day out, we need this word. God meets us through this word in his kindness. It's a key premise of Christianity that the one true God spoke and created the universe, spoke in this word, and still speaks through this word in our lives. And we need it. We need it. Not only do we need it individually, we've got to have it corporately. These Sundays, it is just a blessing to come and hear great preaching uh, from Matt and the elders here. I get to hear it from John and the elders at Redeemer to be fed by the word. We need that shared life together. And almost as important is the shared life you want to have in life groups. I am pastor of life groups. So yes, I'm going to plug life groups, but you guys should be in a life group. Uh, I can just look back at my life and just trace my life going like this. And then you have Sunday. It's like, oh, that's right. And then life group. Oh yeah, that's right. This is how God wants me to live. Joyfully walking forward, leaning into the Lord, receiving from him, responding with worship. That's what God has made us for. And guys, he's made us for this feast, most centrally to feast on his word through his son, Jesus. And this is the, this is the height of the text. So hang in me. If you get nothing else, these next five, 10 minutes, get this. Verses three through five say, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. This is a reference to the covenant that they would have known by heart that David had, that God had made with David, that someone in the line of David would be on the throne over God's people forever. But David then died. I'm like, well, it's not David. And Solomon then, incredible kingdom. Uh, people coming from near and far to drink of his wisdom, his wealth was unmatched, but Solomon died. And then Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and you start to have a split. They live and they die and live and die and live and die. And all these kings die until kids and kids here, you probably know who the forever king is. Jesus died, but rose. Jesus is in the line of David. The book of Matthew follows 400 years of silence after the close of the Old Testament. And it begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jesus is the one who ushers in, carries out this everlasting covenant. He is the witness. He is the leader. He is the commander in verse four. John Calvin says this, Jesus is a witness meant to be responded to. He came and declared his authority. And if you take him seriously, you don't merely acknowledge his existence. You submit to him as your king. Guys, our response of worship is specifically to Jesus. Scripture is as clear as it can be. It is to to submit and bow the knee to King Jesus. It is to feast on Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That is the feast most meaningfully that Isaiah is talking about. We feast on Jesus and we feast through repentance and faith. Anyone can do it. Anyone can come to Jesus. So that moves us into uh, point number two. We've talked about feasting. We also receive from God and respond with worship by forsaking, specifically forsaking folly, laying down the folly of a life anywhere other than by faith in Jesus. <laughs> anywhere other than that is folly. And it's not Jesus plus, it's, it's Jesus, <laughs> okay? Jesus and obey. Trust and obey. 
Uh, it is serving Jesus. And verses six and seven say, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. That idea of forsaking your way and your thoughts is a way of thinking and of living. So it's a whole way of life we're talking about here. This isn't just uh, praying a prayer and then kind of living the way you want to live, whatever that would be. And then at the end of your life, like, oh, I prayed a prayer. Here, pull it out. There it is, the prayer. I hope that's, that's going to be good enough. No, God says, turn, turn and live. Give up this nasty garbage of sin that turns in our mouths, turns just to, to sand and dirt. So we eat it, we think it's going to be great, but it makes us feel disgusting because it's not what we're designed for. We're designed to flourish, to worship, to honor the Lord. If you're here this morning and the idea of a relationship with God through Jesus is new, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, you're in the right place. And the, the central message of today is that there is a perfect and holy God uh, that we have sinned against, uh, not just with a few bad choices, but man, we, we like our sin, right? We enjoy running from the Lord and he's kind, though he could punish us to send his son to live a perfect life, die in our place and rise again. And if you trust in Christ today, you can be saved. Uh, receive him now. If you do that, tell someone, cannot wait to walk forward with you in that. Others of you, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I am in with Jesus. Hallelujah. We continue by faith. We continue to walk forward by faith. And some of you are thinking, man, this is just so good. I know, man, this guy down the street at work says he believes in Jesus. I think maybe he does, but man, he really could stand to hear this, that it is a life of continued faith, of wholehearted repentance. It's not just kind of some decision uh, that gets hidden away. It's something that changes our lives. And yes, and amen, your neighbor needs this, your coworker needs this, and so do you. <laughs> so does each of us. All of us needs to look to Christ and live for salvation and then look for, to Christ for hope every day, drinking of his provision and then living with joy. Every one of us has need. God wants to feed us. We're all in a state of guilt apart from Christ. And the incredibly good news is that God saves through Christ. And when he saves guys, it means he saves. Jesus' righteousness for us, uh, not just like a neutral state, but millions, trillions in the bank if you want to use that, not guilty uh, and forever righteous through Christ. That's the hope that we have and that we wake up to every day. And that's what we are to continue in. The path of thriving and of joy is a path of regular forsaking of when we forget who we are, forget to worship the Lord and say, oh God, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Please help me walk in faith. It's regular repentance and faith. Uh, growth in the Christian life is not what we would call linear to where you kind of walk forward, you deal with one sin, and then you're done with that sin forever. It'd be, I feel like it would be nice if this was the case, but, uh, but the Lord knows otherwise. Um, it's not that you deal with one sin and then now, okay, I'm never going to deal with anger again. Then you progress and you deal with the next sin. All right, I'm done with that sin forever. No, it's, we're like a tree, right? We go through seasons. We have dry seasons where it's just like, God, I don't know what's going on, but I am on the struggle bus. I'm angry. I'm impatient, um, I'm selfish, I'm self-focused. What is happening? That over time, though, growth is happening. God is rooting out uh, not just those surface-level sins, but their source and making us into beautiful, fruitful trees. 
we forsake our folly as we feast on the Lord. You might be thinking, okay, pastor, but shouldn't there be a time where I start to get it together? I feel like a goofball. I am 30 years into Christianity and I'm still getting angry at my kids. I'm 30 years into Christianity and I still want what I want more than serving my spouse. Something is wrong with me. And, and for those of you with a sensitive conscience of which I am one, that can get really discouraging, right? You can just get to where it's like, dude, is this ever gonna be over? This doesn't feel like thriving. And can I really have confidence that God will forgive and forgive and forgive and that he loves me? Not that he's like holding his nose, like, okay, come on, Garrett. But no, he loves me, right? He's running to us. Yes, I love you. Uh, What confidence can we have that God would keep forgiving? Well, verses eight and nine Give us a clue. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There are other passages that talk about and are telling us about the infinite and exceeding knowledge of God that is far greater than ours. Other passages speak of that. In the text, though, this passage is saying God's way of compassion far exceeds your way. We're not so gracious, right? We're not so gracious with ourselves or with others, right? And so we're like, dude, there cannot be this much grace. God says, oh yes, there is. My ways are far higher. Seek the Lord that he may have compassion. He will abundantly pardon his ways and his thoughts are higher. How in the world is that possible? Hebrews 4 tells us, uh, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, you don't have to turn there, but it just says, since then we have a great high priest Who has passed through the heavens? Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Our weaknesses, that's every one of us. Whether we have a weakness towards pride, a weakness in the propensity towards anxiety, whether we have a weakness towards uh, lust, the battle is lust, whether we have a weakness towards greed, whether we have a weakness towards selfishness. Guys, Jesus gets all that and he came through successful against it all. The temptation in the wilderness teaches us that, that that was encapsulated. Jesus endured every possible temptation in every respect has been tempted with we are, as we are yet without sin. So we draw near with confidence. We draw near based on the righteousness of Christ, the right record of Christ, the perfection of Christ to receive mercy and grace. Guys, someone absolutely 100% worked to provide this feast and his name is Jesus Christ. And so we can receive that wine and milk, the rich, lavish grace that God would give us for free. For it is, it is mind-blowing, right? Like, what in the world? Okay, who can I tell about this? I'm forgiven. I got to go tell somebody because this is incredible. Because we are forgiven, we can turn and forgive others as well. And guys, I really believe that forgiveness is a huge door to share Jesus with the lost. A huge door. Tim Keller, before he passed away, uh, had started writing an article that uh, on his website, it says that they finished it after his death. Someone else finished it because they knew where he was going for three keys for effective witness today, in the West today. Three keys. What are the three keys right now uh, where we're at with moral absolutes no longer assumed, the existence of God no longer assumed, 
personal sin against that God no longer assumed. All right, these changing times, three things. What three things? Well, one, apologetics. Absolutely. Got to be able to defend the faith, know why we believe what we believe. But listen to the other two, hospitality and forgiveness. And just think about that. Let that sink in. Hospitality and forgiveness, because the world that we live in, the America we live in, cancels people. You say something and you just, it's like, all right, get out, the, get out the shotguns. Who can we blow apart today on social media? Just kind of looking for like, oh, there's one. There it is. Ah, got him, right? If we were to extend hospitality and welcome people into our homes, if we are to offer forgiveness to them or ask for forgiveness when we sin against them, the Lord will work and move in power. Because that is the gospel. Uh, that God saves, he forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives. So we thrive when we feast, we thrive when we forsake our sin, and we thrive finally when we follow, when we follow Jesus forever. We thrive as we follow, and the, the focus in this text is on trusting, taking God at his word, and obeying that word. God's going to point to the absolute, complete reliability of his word to give us confidence to follow day in and day out, and to walk and move in trust and obedience. God wants to strengthen our faith for that following by pointing to how reliable his word is. So verses 10 and 11 explain, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It's the beautiful analogy, rain and snowfall. We're headed towards spring here, not as fast as in some places, but it's coming, it's coming. Spring's gonna come up, flowers, birds chirping, uh, trees and harvest. That is how God's word works. That's what it's like. It brings a harvest. And specifically, Isaiah 46 tells us that God's word does what he purposes for it to do. Okay, sounds great. So what's the purpose of the word? What is God purposing to do in his word? Well, guys, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You're seeing growth, you're seeing development, you see a healthy tree that is producing fruit, blessing and serving others, that the man of God may be complete. Complete sounds like thriving to me. I don't know about you guys. That sounds like thriving and it sounds pretty good. So what does it look like? How do we receive the word in this way? Well, I wanna, this last point is uh, largely really a testimony of the Lord's, the Lord's work in my life and the reliability of his work through some, some ups and downs in my life. So as I mentioned, I can struggle with perfectionism. My biggest fear is failure, for sure. Just straight up, for sure. I don't know why it's such a daunting thing, but uh, my parents can recount, I never fell off a bike because I waited, 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 waited until I could do it perfectly. Oh, okay, didn't fall. Um, I uh, didn't fall when learning how to walk before that. So apparently I just was like, just, I don't know what I was thinking, guys. I mean, I was a kid, right? <laughs> perfectionism, like so afraid of failure, um, came to Christ at a young age and personal spiritual disciplines were near and dear in my life. But what I tried to do with them all too often is I tried to kind of pull them out of a means to receive from the Lord and make them a means to where I was like, 
oh, all right, I feel good about myself and my day, and now I can go serve. And I had kind of removed God from the equation and just tried to stand on this like perfect, it's, I mean, it's just silliness, right? Total silliness. But I, that's what I did. That's what, that was my struggle, my battle. And the Lord's providence through the years has just smiled on me to significantly weaken this, what I would call vice of perfectionism. It's not what God wants us to hold on to. He wants us to hold on to Christ and then live in the freedom of being in Christ. Um, God's helped put that to death through several unexpected developments across my life. Uh, one of which was we moved to my family and I, and, and uh, at the time it was just Laura, Timothy, and Alex. In January 2012, we moved to Denver for me to be a lead church planter, so to do what Matt is doing here. We began getting to know neighbors, hosting hangouts, hosting parties. And uh, 10 months in, I was completely exhausted. There was very little visible fruit to show for it. And we, Laura and I decided, man, I, this is not the right path. And so I stepped out of being a lead church planter. And men, you all know, if it's like the thing that you do, it's like, oh, uh, hi, I'm Garrett. I don't know what to do with my life, but I'm here. Uh, and I really couldn't see beyond the next step. Things were not clear. It was like, I don't know what to do. But Romans 8, 28 and 29, uh, God works for good in any and every situation. Rang, okay, rang true in my head, held on to that. I had good friends in my life who over and over, Garrett, Philippians 1, 6, God will complete in you the good work he has begun in Christ. Okay, I'm gonna hold on to that. Holding on for dear life because I don't know what else is going on right now. And I went full-time with Starbucks, uh, full-time. I was a manager. I had been working there for benefits, went full-time in Denver, Colorado. I mean, you name it. You want to talk about a place where the Lord is not shining brightly in terms of visible response. <laughs> that is it. Um, lots of other things going on. Marijuana had just been legalized in Colorado, so you can imagine who I was trying to employ. And uh, guys, here's the deal. Working at Starbucks means getting up really early. 3.15, often. 5.15 was sleeping in. So there ain't no hour quiet time to perfect myself going on at that point. I'm not that holy, okay? It's not happening. I had a couple minutes on my way to work for this shift typically. And guys, I just remember praying over and over. God, help me remember that in Christ, I have nothing to prove. I'm fully known and fully loved and help me to live in that today. And then you hit it and it goes and it is anything but perfection. Uh, we had anything but perfect days going on there, but the Lord was faithful. Uh, the Lord sustained me through not just every day, but the seasons of Starbucks. Um, I happened to work at a very busy Starbucks where we served a minimum thousand customers a day. We didn't have time for perfect results in customer service. It had to be doing our best. I, I did not have perfect results in employee turnover. Uh, unless turning them over is turning them all over in a year and having a whole new store, then that, that would count. And we did not have perfect results in beverage quality. But another text, reliable text that stood out, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Uh, for we serve the Lord Christ. And I held to that verse, held to these other verses, learned a ton about leading people, learned a ton about how to motivate through love and not fear. A uh, huge difference in leading people through love than leading through fear, and just leading through strictness. I learned a ton about teamwork, how to help individuals accomplish more together than the sum of their parts, all things that I get to apply now as a pastor in ways that are just much more tried and true than they ever would have been because the Lord was at work. 
and we eventually joined the core team of a church plant in the area. I will note, my wife and I sat under a lot of counseling, a lot of marriage counseling, not because we had run headlong into sin, but because we had suffered pretty greatly. There was, it was a hard break in the church plant. So we'd suffered, suffered, suffered. And then each of us had ways that we sinned, learned to sin, right? To cover our suffering instead of going to the Lord, forsaking our sin, apologizing to each other, coming together. So we learned to process healthily with the Lord, process our own response, come together. And now we, we are way more thriving than we were in our marriage. I commend counseling to you. Just a little plug. Um, I transitioned back into vocational ministry, and then I was working a couple part-time jobs and still trying to figure out, okay, two part-time ministry jobs. This doesn't quite feel like thriving, Lord. It feels like you have something else. So I'm looking for a church, and I was like, oh, I'm going to apply to this church called Redeemer Church in Rockford, Illinois. Is that a place? Well, we were in Denver, Colorado. Okay, so Denver to Rockford. Um, well, I guess it is. And Matt called, and we discovered that we had walked the same halls at Southern Seminary at the same time, been in the same room multiple times. Uh, Aaron and I worked for different offices at Southern, but we never met each other, didn't know each other. I kind of started to pray for what I called a unicorn church where God is valued, his word is preached. It's a big God, big gospel, uh, counseling, biblical counseling, a serious mem membership, discipleship. But I was like, yeah, right. That's not gonna, not gonna find a church that can also employ me full-time. And here I am. But the problem is we had to leave Denver. So our best friends are in Denver. I have a sister in Denver. I have a brother in Denver. What in the world? Need a reliable text, Lord, because I don't know what you're doing again. Isaiah 33, five and six, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness and he will be the stability of your times. Not us, not our smarts, not our skills, not our looks, not whatever we would stand on apart from Christ and worship the Lord and just the purity of that joyful fellowship with him. We've sung about it. Jesus' blood washes away our sin. He is our cornerstone. He is the one that we worship and guys, God's word is reliable, and I would just give testimony to that. And the reason it's reliable is because it is literally an extension of God. We know a personal God through this word. Uh, commentator Gary Smith explains, when God speaks, he externalizes who he is. His words represent his values, his will, and his existence. A divinity who has no will and does not reveal himself is a God that does not really exist. In contrast, God's words accomplish the plans and pleasures of God. God works through his word. In your life, where do you need to believe that today? As you would let that just sink in. Um, you know the circumstances that you're in. Uh, the Lord knows them as well as you do, and he's with you in them. So what texts do you need to believe? What things do you need to soak in and meditate on? And just would encourage you to strengthen each other in that this week. Tell someone, or if you know through relationship, man, reach out to that person. Encourage. Anytime you wonder, man, could they use encouragement? Yes, <laughs> we could all use encouragement, okay? Um, no matter how much we act like, yeah, maybe. No, we all, we all need encouragement, right? God wants us to thrive, and we thrive as we receive from him and respond with worship. Uh, guys, I would just end with, God is not restrictive in his provision towards us. He really does want us to feast. Uh, we're headed to that in perfection one day. It's gonna be unreal. 
in the new heavens and the new earth. And today, by grace, God saves. By grace, God strengthens. By grace, we bear fruit. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Uh, God, we come to you, and um, God, it's an honor to receive from your word. Uh, it's so life-giving, Lord. Help us to drink of it. Pray that it would land on soft hearts and just lead us forward, I pray. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.